Okay, it's the time for another digital side hug, and I've got Kenda Creasy Dean. I'm so excited, Kenda. How are you? I'm great. It's great to be here. It is, and I wish, of course, we could be in person. I have a dream, Kenda, that someday I'm going to get to meet you in person, and 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 you and me and John Paul Cook will get to have coffee together and that talk shop. Like that sounds like a blast. Um, we have so, all the same friends. We might as well just call it what it is. That's that's yeah. right. That's right. The very first person that told me to interview you for this podcast. Which I thought was funny because, of course, I'd already considered the possibility of what if I could get Ken DeCreasy to eat on the podcast. And Deej Kirk, a buddy of mine, was like, oh, we're good friends. I'll put in a good word for you. <laughs> and and then, you know, of course, now I I, I know a little more. I've, I interviewed Andy Root, and obviously you and he have a good, strong relationship, written a book together. And to, to give a little background information on John Paul, you know, yeah. listeners won't know, but John Paul is a, was an apprentice here at Otter Creek with me for two years who, who has moved on now to bigger and better things at the Princeton Theological Seminary. And he's in a class with you. He is. He's awesome. So, yep. so maybe while he's there, I can get up to uh, New Jersey to visit and we can say hello in person. I think that's going to have to happen. All right. So t- quickly, you know, tell us who you are, what you do, and, and why you do it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, I'm uh, Kenda Dean, and I teach at Princeton Seminary. Uh, I'm in the education and formation for discipleship area of the seminary. But I hold down the youth ministry end of things, um, do a little bit of uh, spiritual formation and education coursework and and recently have moved into areas um, about the church as social entrepreneur um, as part of what um, we talk about in my classes so um, that's that's what I do the church as social entrepreneur yeah I can't wait to find out more about that we've got to <laughs> save time for that you've got another phone call in 29 minutes so yeah, so I'm, we I'm we're, we're on a timetable here Kenda thank you for joining us for this podcast of course. Um, I, I'm going to start with some ridiculous questions. I'm going to get the chain reaction yeah. music going. Listeners will be excited to hear what your go-to Christmas carol is. Um, carol of the Bells. Carol of the Bells. Okay. It's Christmas season. So your go-to Christmas carol is, do you know the words? No. I so just, you I just... I just da-da-da-da-da a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's great. I think it actually does have words. I think it does. It does. But, but but I'm in it for the harmony, so it's all right. <laughs> okay. Favorite Christmas movie, and I'm going to ask this in two parts. When you were a kid, what was your favorite Christmas movie? A child yeah. growing up in your home, and, and now, currently, your favorite Christmas movie. Wow. When I was a kid, favorite Christmas movie... Well, I don't know. Probably um, Rudolph or one of those. The uh-huh. claymation variate things. Um, uh, now, I love Christmas Story, um, but I, I think Family Man is a great Christmas movie. So yeah. I love that movie. That, so. That's that's, like, that's a sort Elf of an... Elf is good. Elf is great. Uh, you know, all those. Family Man is like an It's Wonderful Life remix. Um, it is. It is. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. Okay. Kenda, I'm taking, this is a little bit of a morbid turn, but if, if, if you're required to select a last meal, okay, so this is Kenda on death row, <laughs> okay, falsely sorry. accused, obviously, sure. Thank you, <laughs> yeah. Kenda Creasy Dean's last meal would be? Um, at a Mexican restaurant with sopapillas and um, enchiladas and 
I don't know, all Mexican food. It would be great. Okay, good. So it would be Mexican food, which I love. You know, being a, a Hispanic American, I'm one quarter Hispanic. I, oh, that's awesome. That I don't exactly great. look like it, but but uh, yeah. that's great. Okay, awesome. Uh, this is, a, I guess, a strange question. Do you remember the show, The Greatest American Hero? Well, I remember it, but I didn't actually watch it. Does that count? <laughs> well, it so, does. You know, the hair that looked like Art Gar- Garfunkel. Yes, you know? it was Art Garfunkel hair, and and it was the believe it or not, I'm walking. In fact, I'm gonna play. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna stop the music and play in the background for the rest of this segment. The believe it or not song. Believe it or not. So you never, I was going to follow that up with, you know, wh- how did you feel about it? You know, I can't help you. Sorry. No problem. No problem. It happened to be one of my favorite childhood, you know, TV shows. Generation Gap, that's okay. Um, I, I was a little ahead of you. I was probably, I don't know, studying my college exams or something that's, while you were watching it. I don't know. That's exactly right. Um, okay. There is a button in front of you, Kenda, and if you press it, you go back into pastoral ministry so you leave you leave the ivory tower and you go back into pastoral ministry which you have done before you you, um and you you obviously have a heart for pastoral ministry it's it's practical theology is what you're doing that's what i do so if if you press the button then when this school year is over not semester you get one more semester but in the spring of 2015 you you go into pastoral care never to return to the classroom as a professor. Okay. If you do not press the button, then pastoral ministry as such, you know, as a career is off the table for you and you retire as a professor. <laughs> that sounds so dire. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so they both the sound... They, yeah, if you that's right. If you press the button, you become a pastor okay. in, in May of, of this coming yeah. year. I'm pressing the button. Never to return to the classroom as a professor. Yeah, but you, you got to understand that I I love to mess this up, right? Yes. So I dabble in pastoral ministry as a professor, and I figure if I'm a pastor, I'll dabble in the other side of it. So I'm that's big, right. Big on dabbling. Big on dabbling. That's and that's I miss great. I'm a pastor every day. I mean, I don't doubt my call, but and I love what I do. I'm, I am smitten with the best students ever, but uh, there's nothing like being on the front line of ministry. So you do. You love what you do. I do. Yeah. And and who you do it with, but it's all about pastoral ministry. It's all about making a difference in the lives of, of people in the kingdom. Now. Why would we? Why else would we do this? Right. That's great. Okay. Final question. Um, Asking can be fun. Is a book that that uh, Dr. Morris Gregwire is attempting to publish, and it's awesome. It's filled with amazing questions. Um, I love that. Mine for you is this. And okay. it sort of assumes some things, so hopefully we don't uh, strike out here. Ken, <laughs> Kenda, Kenda, whatever became of your high school drama teacher? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't even know. Her name was Sandy Muma. Sa- wait, Sandy Muma? You would know. You, I, I, she quit teaching um, not too long after I had her. I don't think there was a correlation, but um, I think that. Uh, I don't know whether she went into theater or what she did. Well, the, she was. She, this was Delaware, Ohio. It's not exactly the place a lot of dramatic careers begin. Right, right. 
So, Sandy, if you're listening, we need to find out where you are and whatever became of you. Uh, thank you, Kenda, for answering that question. Um, now, we're going to transition, obviously, into youth ministry stuff. And what I'd, you know, probably every youth pastor out there has read Almost Christian or, or sat in a, a session at a seminar yeah. where the whole point was, you know, moralist, moralistic therapeutic deism. Yeah. Um, you wrote that book a few years ago. How do you think we're doing now? You know, I, I'd like for you to assess if, if yeah. you made, if you made, what you did was you diagnosed a problem and, right. and you and made some suggestions to people yeah. like me for how we might could get there. How do you think we're doing? Talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I mean, there's an assumption there about how we're doing, which we all buy into, which may not be the best assumption, and that is that um, we can, that it's ours to solve. And um, I'm not positive that's the case, although that is the first place you go when you look at that. Um, I mean, I think it is the cultural condition of the context that we're in, right? So everybody has to do ministry in a context, and this is ours. That's right. So I don't know whether you solve your context or you just speak into it faithfully, right? Um, And, um, I mean, the facts on the ground are that we are not doing great. You know, if we are looking at faith formation as what we are about, and if we are looking at um, more students and more young people who are self-identifying as Christians and are articulate about their faith, blah, 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 blah. Um, Yeah, there's not a lot of data that says we're doing very well at that. Um, There is um, quite a bit of data that says that when we do not do well at that, faith doesn't have a lot of traction. And so particularly kids as they leave churches um, and go out on their own, um, are not, I, you know, they're not affiliating with religious traditions in the right. way that they might have once before. I, you know, I'm not positive that that's as, um, I don't, I don't guess I see it as a big act of apostasy on the part of young people. I think we've probably had those folks around the church in a long time, for a long time. But the cultural context that we're doing ministry in right now makes it safe and makes it actually plausible for people to live a happy, good life without religion. Mm-hmm. That's not always been the set of assumptions people have grown up under, but that's true now. Right. And right. so, you know, what that's saying to us is that the church is not making a very compelling case for being a source of, or for being a, a, the primary source at least, of the good life. Um, I was in a conversation recently with somebody that, uh, like, one of the things that we don't, I didn't talk about this in Almost Christian, it didn't occur to me there, but um, one of the best practices of witness that Christians have, and this is especially true of Christian communities, it would be true of a youth group, it would be good, true of a congregation, is, the, is joy, right? We think of joy as a virtue, but it's a practice, too, yeah, right? Yeah. And so if people look at a bunch of Christians and say, those people are really joyous, I want what they've got, you know? But that's not what people say about the church. And that's not how a lot of churches act. So, you know, we don't really have um, a grip on the way we are communicating who we are or what we're about and I'm not sure but what the feedback that we're getting from young people is simply an accurate assessment of the way we are presenting ourselves and the way and maybe the way we 
you know, really are, which might be a problem. Um, so in some ways, I, I guess, I'm not sure they are ours to fix. Yeah. You know, in terms of young people, um, they are certainly ours to listen to. Yeah. And part of listening to them is what they think about who they are and what they think about who we are. And theoretically, in that process, the fact that we think they are children of God ought to radically change the way we interact with them and set us apart from the way other people interact with them. You know, you don't have to believe you're a child of God, but I think you're a child of God. And because of that, I think you that they, you have this amazing future ahead of you um, that looks like this, this, and this. Um, anyway, it's um, we're very much mired in the mud on this one, you know, figuring it out. And when a student comes to your class and sit, sits or has read Almost Christian and, and looks to you for, you know, sort of some some answers, as it were, to, to yeah. playing this out in their context, what what is that that you tell you them? Know, that's such a great question. I, I, I know how simplistic this sounds, and I, yet it's the hardest thing ever, and it... I just think that the main thing that we're going to have to really invest in really seriously is figure out how to live the life we want them to have, you know, we, and so what, the, what does that mean? We want them to have a community of people who are, they are faithful with and who help them discern, you know, how God is using them in the world, blah, blah, blah. Uh, do we have those things? Yeah. Um, we want them to have lives of joy and purpose and who, you know, are, and that's typically one thing that youth ministers have in abundance, right? Yeah, that's right. And, we love uh, our jobs. and We do, and, and, and that's a compelling thing for young people to see and witness. Are we able to say, here's why, here's who I work for, here's what, this, this, this is where this life comes from for me, and this is how I try to live this out with integrity. Um, you know, I, I hear a lot from students, a lot of times I hear this from women, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, how do you do youth ministry and have a family and that kind of stuff? Well, sometimes it's, you do it by saying no to youth ministry yeah. and by making your ministry the youth that God's given you and your family, you yeah. know, and um, because other, that's a witness, right? Mm-hmm. So how do right. we live the life that we, this, this is my own conviction and I'm not good at this, right? But it's my heart's desire to live the life I teach about. So, and, yeah, your 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 answer is to the youth minister. You would say a similar message to the one you give parents from the research we yeah, get from Christian absolutely. Smith. You, right. you you're going to your sons and daughters will grow up to have something like the kind of life and faith that you have. You know. Mm-hmm. Or at least you should live a life they want to have. That's right. That's right. Yes, that's a better <laughs> I mean, that way to say it. Give them, you know, something, some evidence that the life, a life lived with Christ is, is, makes a difference in the way you live in the world. And by live a life that they want, I don't mean a life of ease or a life of, I mean a life of worthiness, right? Um, And, uh, you know, if you sacrifice for Christ, your children are going to notice that. And that's true for youth pastors. That's true for pastors, too. Yeah. There's some, there's nothing quite as comfortable as a life in the church. And Eesh. that's the way it looks a lot. <laughs> that's, so, ugh, that yeah, sounds horrible. Know. Oh, that just sounds horrible when you say it. There's nothing quite <laughs> as comfortable as a life in the church. 
And and I don't know, you know. Ah, I don't want that to be true, but it is. I know. You oh goodness, and there's a part of it that when you say it, I think of the front porch of Andy Griffith's house, and I think it ought to be comfortable. There's a, there, there's a sense in which church yes. ought to be a place where guess. you sit and you're present together, and yes. somebody's peeling an apple, and another person is playing the guitar, and a third person is is singing. There's a church in the valley by the wildwood, if you will. That, that would be awesome. Okay. But 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 I'm assuming that's not what you meant when you say the church is the most no. comfortable place in the I world. I mean, I think uh, obviously the. I mean, look, the primary way to witness to um, young people is going to be through the quality of the community that they um, are experiencing. Yes, yes. I mean, you, first you belong. That's right. That's just it. First you belong. And um, so that front porch matters. But um, if all you do is sit on the front porch That's and you right. get off of it, then mm-hmm. we got a problem. And the truth is kids don't want to just sit on the front porch. Um, that's what, that's if, not what they were created for either. Right, and and you know what happens on these front porches, just to, to use the Andy Griffith, Griffith uh, model, is you hear a lot of stories, right? You hear a lot of stories yep. about what people have done in their life and how yep. they've struggled and what's what's been worth living for and what's been not worth living for and what's worth dying for and what's not worth dying for. And in those stories, you create a new generation of people who are also going to share stories with those who come after them. Yes, oh, that's good. That's great stuff. I heard a I heard a sermon once that Tom Tool preached about caffeinated Christianity, and what he was saying was we live as Christians as we live a decaffeinated Christianity because you know we don't want to stay up at night. But his point right. was Christianity ought to keep you up at night. You know, yes. if it doesn't keep you up at night, you're not close enough to the people who are suffering to, to the know? kingdom. That's right. right. That's good. Okay, Kenda, uh, let me ask you, is there, are there some writers, some thinkers, some youth ministry people that, that, let's say we want, you know, that you would point youth ministers to, to say, dig into this person's work, read these people's books, uh, maybe an example of an author, an example of a work that you would say, go check this out? Yeah, that, well, of course, there's a lot of them. I mean, my, my default for anything practical is Mark DeVries' Sustainable Youth Ministry, Um, which is the most profoundly sensible book ever written on youth ministry. Um, He says it's theologically apathetic. I disagree with him on that, but it's, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't go into a lot of deep theological ruminating. He just says, look, if you're going to have youth ministry, it's not about the youth minister. It's about the infrastructure that supports it. Yeah. So it's just one of those books every church needs to read. Um, It's actually written for senior pastors more than for youth pastors. Um, And, um, then there are a couple I'm excited about coming up. Um, one, and both of these have just come out. One is Shannon Ross, um, Gifts Glittering and Poison. Um, and basically what he does is he, this is, this is one of those books that is going to take you longer to, the re- to read than you think because every sentence counts, you know, and it's beautifully written. Um, but what he says is, you know, the the Roman Empire where they had the Colosseum and they had all of the the spectacle of people coming to see, you know, the Christians getting eaten by the lions and so on. That's pretty much what our culture is. You know, yeah, this is yeah. the culture that we have to work with right now. This is the culture that our kids are being raised That's in. Right. And it's pretty much like the Colosseum in Rome. And we might want to think about that. Um, and it's a very compelling um critique of culture and the way ministry has responded to it. And uh, the other one that's coming out that I'm excited about is by Amanda Drury. Um, She teaches at Indiana Wesleyan, and it's on testimony and how the practice of testimony is 
an overlooked resource in youth ministry, but the people who practice it, the kids have stronger faith and because we kind of talk ourselves into what we believe as we do it. Uh-huh. Um, and, and it's a form of witness it, in the world. It's a, it, there are all these things that we lament um, being difficult for young people in their faith that get a lot easier with the practice of testimony. And what's interesting is um, it shapes whole communities of, of the church, not just young people. Um, so I'm a big fan. Awesome. So Shannon, uh, that was Shannon Ross, Gifts, Glittering, and Poisoned. Uh-huh. And, then, and Amanda Drury, I think it's just called Testimony. Testimony. Okay. I, I could be wrong about that, but Drury is D-R-U-R-Y. And obviously Mark DeVries, Sustainable Youth Ministry, uh, you mentioned first. And I, I had Mark DeVries on the podcast. podcast. That's right. right. A few weeks ago. In fact, um, I'm interested to talk more because it, it sounds like you guys have collaborated or, or talked about some of the similar themes. Um you mentioned something earlier. We've got 10 more minutes. Okay. Tell, tell me about or talk about um, something that you're doing there at, at PTS uh, called Church as Social Entrepreneur. What do you mean by that? Yeah, uh, well, that's just the name of a class that I'm teaching actually tomorrow. Um, and um, But it, it acknowledges what I'm starting to call the entrepreneurial moment in ministry, um, and what that means is there are a lot of great impulses for ministry. A lot of them come out of youth ministry um, that the church has just gotten used to saying no to. And the church ought to be a culture of yes, not a culture of no. But the reason that it often says no is money. Um, we've gotten accustomed. This is part of our comfort. We've gotten accustomed to the offering plate as the way we um, fund ministry, and the fact of the matter is, we don't get to choose whether we do mission or not just because there's not enough money in the plate. So what that means, we've got to figure out a way to be sustainable as people who are doing mission in the world, and there are ways that we can do that that have been happening under our nose, um, and it actually winds up being a way that ministry gets funded, but it's not a way that it's been funded in the past. And what that looks like are things like um, well, some of them are churches that are also coffee shops. Um, the church that I go to has a campus ministry through a food truck. Um, the, um, there is a church that's in um, Buffalo, New York, that needed to do job, job training for a bunch of teenagers who were, having, who were really struggling. They put in a Subway franchise in the church. Well, they didn't put that in to make money. Right. They did it to train jobs, but it's making enough money to fund an exponential growth in mission in that community. Um, it actually was featured on Undercover Boss, um, this particular church. The, the, called, the, sub, the subway in the church or the church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. And it's called um, Temple, Bethel Temple or something like that. Yeah. It's in Buffalo, New York. Anyway, these are the kinds of things um, I was talking to somebody who wants to do a campus ministry through a thrift store. Um, who is, um, you know, there, there's another campus ministry that's funded because they they formed, they built a dorm where they have intentional community and um, communities with students who've had um, addiction issues and that sort of stuff. And they fund these ministries because the dormitory in the middle of campus is funding these other forms of outreach. Now, if you would have just said, we want to fund, we want to do some addiction ministry, the first question would have been, well, how are you going to fund it? Yeah, how much does it cost? How much does it cost? And they would have said no. Yeah. And instead, they said, you know what, there's an entrepreneurial moment here. Um, we're going to take advantage of it, and we're going to do ministry anyway because that's what we're called to do. And it's not because, you know, the what we're, 
the, the money we're making is what it's about. It, it is what allows us to function in an economically driven culture. And what's more, it gives us access to missions and ministries in the community that we would not have had access up to otherwise when we were still insular being funded by the money we give to ourselves. That's the entrepreneurial moment ministry. I really need an elevator pitch because I'm not going to say this bad. Yeah, but that's it. I'm, I mean, it's like we are in the best time to do ministry. I just, I just got on the soapbox with one of my classes that we are so desperate right now as a church. There is all sorts of openness yeah. to ways of doing ministry that there hasn't been before. And the people who are most likely to take advantage of that are the people in youth ministry. That's right. Because... First of all, we've had to be entrepreneurial for a long time before yep. there was a name for it. That's right. And um, we're sort of yet used to and undaunted by people saying no to us. Right. And um, it's not stopped our desire to do ministry. The people who are going to lead the church through this are the youth ministers. Um, but we haven't claimed that as part of our vocation yet. And I'm very excited that we do that. Every youth minister out there listening to the sound of your voice knows what you're talking about when you point to the reality of money and church budgets and collection plates. Well, no. and part of the way it hits youth ministers is just their jobs get cut, right? Yeah, that's like, right. They have to go part-time or whatever. I mean, there's a pastor in um, um, Alberta, Canada who uh, was part-time and he had to um, figure out a way to get more money. He's got three children and he noticed that it's Canada, right? Snows a lot in Canada. He noticed that the snow removal people were doing a bad job at their church, and so he says to his church, "How about if I get that contract instead of them, and I'll do a better job?" And they said, "Fine, you you shovel the snow, and we'll pay you." Well, pretty soon the kids in the youth group come to him, and they're like, "You know, we can't find jobs, you know." And he's like, "Okay, well, why don't you help me shovel some snow?" Well, the short story is his name is Jeff Vandekoit, and he's um got a, uh, a little enterprise, called, it's a for-profit enterprise called Crosswinds. And what it does is it employs kids to do landscaping stuff. Wow. And what happens is those kids, they get paid real wages, they get some job training out of it, but what they really get is mentoring with Christian mentors. And um, what Jeff is in the process of doing now is working with other adults who are coming to him saying things like, hey, you know what, I've got a little IT business, I could use some teenagers that would be helpful here and could you teach me how to mentor them in their faith while they're working for me and so you see what this is doing to youth ministry right it's taking it out of the youth group I mean they still have a youth group they still go on mission trips but that crosswinds funds the mission of that whole congregation now Wow! and it meanwhile it is giving an avenue for lots of people in the congregation to come around young people and to kind of be the bellows blowing on their flames saying, here, yeah, well, I'm going to give you an opportunity here. You're going to do some real work, and you're going to learn some actual skills you're going to use in the world. And, yeah, the church cares about that stuff. Um, but I also care about your faith. So I'm going to be here to talk about all those, you know, things, questions that you're trying to figure out. The, you know, the, the saying is that necessity is the mother of invention. And what you're describing is such a brilliant idea but it seems like the kind of idea that is going to be led by smaller churches. It, it's the type of thing that's going to happen uh-huh. with congregations who, who, who are struggling to put together a youth budget that causes parents and teens to flock toward it. The larger 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 member churches are not going to be the bell cows leading this, right? And I, 
You know what? I don't know, but I think you could be right. I mean, it's possible that the larger, more well-funded churches will have enough headwind behind them that if they catch the vision, they can lead some things. I heard about a church in Texas. I can't find this church. If anybody knows this church, tell me what it is. I think I heard about it on NPR. Um, that ter- It was a large church. They turned their, They figured their Wednesday night youth program wasn't doing what they wanted it to do. Turned the entire youth budget into microloans that they gave to teenagers to go do ministry in their community. Now, that took a lot of vision and a lot of guts. Oh, yeah. And, and, um, and a lot of money. I mean, that took money, too. So, right. So so that's one way that a large church did that. But having said that, the church I go to, the one with the food truck ministry, um, I mean, we're a church that has got grown. It's quadrupled. We're up to 80 people about on a Sunday now. And um, we have got a part-time wow. pastor. And the food, the food truck have, church? Yeah. And we don't have you know, two nickels to rub together, but they got this vision that, hey, we could do ministry on campus with all the kids that don't ever go to a campus ministry if we had a food truck. This is the kind of thing that is just really going to resonate in the hearts of the generations that we're ministering to, the, the current students who are adolescents and, and those that are older, you know, later adolescents and, and the young adults in college yeah. and beyond. I've got I've got a minute and a half left with you, Kenda, and it's been so much fun to talk. I've got so much more to ask, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to have you just, if you don't mind, with the last few moments we have, of, take, encourage encourage the youth ministers and youth pastors that are listening to this. What what's what's a final blessing you could give or a word of encouragement for them as they do their work? Oh my gosh, you 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 don't know the changes that you're making in people's lives. I mean, you intuit it, but you know, I'm on the other end of that. I'm getting students as they come out of college, coming into seminary, and they point back to their youth pastors every time. They point back to the people who have been their mentors when they've been apprentices in congregations. They point back to the person who walked, took a walk with them while they were at camp and, you know, helped them sort out whatever it was. They are, I just um, graded a batch of what we call spiritual autobiographies. And the number of people who are in ministry because of being a youth pastor is astonishing. Not all of them are going into church ministry, but they, they don't feel like time that you might not even remember happened was wasted at all. Um, the other thing is just don't do this alone. You know, you, there's a, there's a cadre of people out there who want to walk through this with you. Um, other youth pastors, other pastors, other people who just care about what you are up to. Um, and I hope, I hope you can find that community. And if you can't, somebody needs to email me so that I can put some people together to give you a community. But anyway, it's a great, it's a great way to spend a life. Kenda, th- thank you so much. This is this is when I would give you a hug if you were present. Uh, you're not, yeah, so that's right. I, I I love you already. Thank you for giving this time to us. You're a blessing. Keep doing what you do. Keep dreaming. Keep sharing your life with others. Uh, and give John Paul Cook a noogie for me. <laughs> I, maybe I'll give him a hug. Yeah. <laughs> and and thank you. God's blessings on you as well. Thanks, Dave. Have a merry Christmas. You too. Bye, Kenda. Bye.